This is Olympia Dukakis, and you're listening to Film Wax Radio. Hey, everybody. It's Adam Shartoff, your host of Film Wax Radio. It's Friday, March 26, 2021, and this is episode 661 of the podcast. This episode uh, celebrates two documentaries, one of which just had its world premiere at South by Southwest, and uh, uh, it won the the Audience Award for Best Documentary, I believe. It's um, directed by two friends, uh, Sarah and Emily Kunstler, and we will be bringing them on with the subject of their film, Jeffrey Robinson, um, in a moment. And then we have a friend of the podcast, Harry Mavro McCallis who has directed a documentary. We visited this now. This is our third time that, uh, Harry's been on doing the show. Uh, we've been following this documentary, which is, of course, called Olympia and is about the great actor Olympia Dukakis. And it is finally now available to stream on multiple platforms, including Apple TV, Google Play, Vimeo On Demand, and Fandango Now. So I'm very happy to be bringing... Harry back on. We'll talk with Harry in a little bit. But first, again, I saw this documentary. I think it's worth playing this, even though it's it, you can't see it right now, but make a note of it. A Films to See, because uh, this is an important documentary. It's one of my favorites I've seen so far this year. Again, it's called Who We Are, A Chronicle of Racism in America, according to the website, The Who We Are Project, which is the broader context of the film. is. It is a uh, now part of a, a organization that is dealing with racism in the country, and there can't have too many, too many, too too much of that for Pete's sake. ACLU Deputy Legal Director Jeffrey Robinson's groundbreaking talk on the history of U.S. anti-black racism is interwoven with archival footage, interviews, and Robinson's story, exploring the enduring legacy of white supremacy and our collective responsibility to overcome it. So uh, the, it, the backdrop of this documentary is, is his talk. And throughout the, it's broken up with Jeffrey talking to folks that uh, he meets on the tour, as well as visiting spots that have special meaning, as well as archival footage uh, racism is alive and well, as we most of us know, and uh, unfortunately, in this country. And uh, this documentary couldn't be more timely, and it was very powerful. I was very moved by it. So not only did I want to reach out to Emily and Sarah because I have some history with them, but also because of the quality and the power of this particular documentary, Who We Are, A Chronicle of Racism in America. Visit the whoweareproject.org and you can find out more about the project, the film, the podcast, which there is, etc. And sign up or donate. I'm going to now play this conversation that we were talk talking to them during the South by Southwest, of course, remotely. The screens were virtual, of course. Everything was done uh, online. But, but 
This is my conversation with Jeffrey Robinson, as well as uh, the Kunstler sisters, Sarah and Emily, here on Filmwax Radio. If you have ever owned a slave, please raise your hand. Slavery is not our fault. We didn't do it. We didn't cause it. But it is our shared history. Slavery had nothing to do with the war. And so if I make the statement to you, America was founded on white supremacy. Lynchings or hangings took place here. It's a genocide. It's an ethnic cleansing. The bodies were dumped all the way where the underpass is, and they intentionally put the interstate on top of their bodies. It's ingrained in my memory. I'm just looking at him in the ditch with his eyes open. My daddy sat on the carport right here in a lawn chair with a shotgun across his lap because he was going to be ready if somebody came to the house. There must be a revolution of values in our country. I cannot look at that video in its entirety. And my brother did not deserve to die unarmed with his hands in the air. It will never get easier to have an honest discussion about race in America than it is right now. Because if we wait, it is only going to get harder. Everybody looks fantastic. The light is fantastic. Oh, I was just telling uh, the counselors that uh, my neighbor is a bard student who is practicing her opera trill. So if some of that leaks through, I, I <laughs> but it could be a worse noise. Yes, it could be. So, uh, and I hear it. it's good. It's fine. Um, when she first moved here, she actually left me a note. Is there a good time? To for me to do this convenient for your schedule. So how can you get upset with somebody who does that? Yeah, I That's mean, a good neighbor. He's a very good tactician. That was a great movie. <laughs> yeah, well, it's really great to uh, meet you, Jeffrey, and to see Emily and Sarah. I haven't seen them in a long time. Although I will mention that seven or eight years ago, I think <laughs> I know I screened Disturbing the Universe at a little film series that I ran in Brooklyn, and it kind of reconnected us from our distant, distant past. <laughs> but uh, it's great that we're all reconnected. I definitely, when I saw that you had a new film, you were coming on anyway. So the fact <laughs> that it turned out to be, uh, you know, who we are, a chronicle of racism in America is only cream on the, you know, whipped cream or whatever you call it, strawberry on the cake. Uh, and um, it's just such an amazing and powerful film. Uh, so I was really so happy to, have, to see it. And I, I worried as I watched it uh, that I d wouldn't know how to talk about it because there's so much, you know? So I will just first ask this, Jeffrey, we'll start with you. And that is, this is obviously a talk you've been taking around the country for a while, right? And so uh, can you talk about how you developed it? Because it's sort of the, the structure, in, it's the framework of the film. In about 2000, in, not, in 2011, uh, my wife's younger sister passed away and she was a single mom in Queens, New York. And her nephew, her son, our nephew, now our son, was 13. She died in April and her mother, my wife's mother as well, died in November. And those were the two women raising Matthew. So he moved from Queens to Seattle. 
and my wife and I didn't have kids. And now this young black man was in our home and all the things that I was working on in my practice uh, as a criminal defense lawyer, where I had been focusing on issues of racial justice and thought I was, you know, near the edge of pushing those issues. And all of a sudden, all that didn't make any sense anymore because this kid is in my house and I was terrified. And I didn't know quite what to do. And so I started reading. And I don't even know what I was looking for. But what I found started to really shake me. Uh, I was born in 1956 in Memphis, Tennessee. So I didn't grow up reading about the civil rights movement. I was living it when I walked out of my house. My older brother and I integrated a Catholic school in Memphis in 1963. And there's something in the film about that. Uh, I've had one of the best educations in America, Marquette University and Harvard Law School. So I thought I knew our history of racism in America. And I discovered that I didn't know anywhere near what I needed to know. And as I found more and more information, my training as a criminal defense lawyer had always uh, guided me to take any complex set of facts and put them in a timeline before you start trying to understand them. And when I did that, uh, this presentation was born. And once I got over being angry at myself and beating myself up for not knowing this information, I then decided I would blame it on my teachers so I could get angry at them. And then I figured, well, if nobody taught them, how were they gonna teach me? And once I stopped trying to figure out who I was gonna be angry at, I decided, well, I wonder how many other people don't know this. And that's how the presentation came about. Can you describe for, or give an example of one of those things that you didn't know about that you learned during the process of this? Because it seems like given your background, uh, your work with the ACLU, et cetera, that you would be the exact guy who would know those things. And I have never heard. You come from an African-American experience. How do you not know? I had never heard of the colonial Marines. I had no idea what impact they had on Francis Scott Key and on the national anthem. And when I first read about the third verse of the national anthem, I read it in <clears throat> a place, uh, a blog from someone who was fairly radical, but I thought, ah, this is an exaggeration. So I went and got the original document because you can go and see it. The handwritten document by Francis Scott Key where he wrote the poem that is now the national anthem. And if you go to the third verse, it is celebrating the murder of enslaved people saying, how dare you? fight against America. We're going to hunt you down and put you in the dirt. And my head was spinning. I thought, I've been fooled about what that entire thing was about. And not the only thing it was about, because, you know, he had watched 25 consecutive hours of the bombing of Fort McHenry and the American flag was still waving. So that wasn't the only thing it was about, but it was important enough to him to put it in the freaking form. Yeah. As you mentioned, he was, was a, uh, himself a slave owner, is that? He was, and, and a virulent white supremacist and racist. And, and one of the interesting things 
you know, we we did the presentation that is the backbone of this film. Sarah and Emily filmed this in 2018. And then we've been going around the country since then. So uh, uh, there are things that we sort of talked about that have manifested themselves in, in different ways as we've gone forward over the years. And I think that's another interesting way to look at the film. Sarah, how did you guys, how did your roads converge? I am a criminal defense lawyer practicing in New York. And I went to a continuing legal education seminar, which I'm required to do um, to keep my license current. And Jeff was the speaker. And uh, normally I place very little stock in these. These are the kind of events where you, uh, you, to be quite honest, you bring your laptop, you find the available Wi-Fi, and you sit there for the, the time period you're required to sit there, and then you get your certificate. Um, without any information uh, transferring from the speaker to you. And this was one, uh, a singular experience in my life where I could not stop watching and I could not, you know, stop taking notes. I just wanted to absorb completely the history that Jeff was sharing. Um, and when I walked out of there, I, the first thing I did was call my sister, Emily, and say, we have to film this. We have to... We have to, you know, we have to bottle this. We have to take this history that Jeffrey has distilled and help it reach a larger audience. Emily, were you uh, looking for a project already? Because it's been a few years since Disturbing Universe. I've never heard the answer to this question. So I'm really <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, the majority of the work that we do are smaller films, are advocacy films for people in prison. And there's, there's really never a shortage of that kind of work. Um, in terms of a larger project, in terms of looking for a larger project, you know, I'm always very wary because it's it's a big investment, you know, of of time and energy and resources um, to take on a, a new a new documentary. So Sarah told me about this. It sounded like an amazing project. I wanted to know more. Um, and uh, after I got to see, there was uh, some part of the presentation, but not the whole thing. I, 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 I believed in what, in what this project was and knew we had to do something. So it's not that we were looking for something, something found us um, that, we, that we couldn't say no to. So we teamed up with, with Jeffrey um, and the rest is history. Well, I'm so glad it did. Um, I, I, I'm gonna push everybody to see the documentary. Uh, to see the film it's 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 it really is um essential viewing i will say that for right in this moment in time especially um because um i was thinking of a couple of things one is like uh um there's this uh phenomenon in in psychotherapy and i know from personal experience but where you as a patient as you get really close to some truths it gets scary as hell. And a lot of people will often find themselves fleeing, you know, like leaving therapy even because they're on the verge of something that might be difficult. It will alter your life. It'll mean yourself dedicating yourself possibly to a new way of thinking and living. And I kind of feel as a country, that's where we're scared of just taking that extra step when it's to those who already have, it's sort of a liberating thing. It's just, I don't know. I mean, I felt that way. That first occurred to me 
Jeffrey, when you were talking to, and I, I know you, you, you credited him at the end, but, uh, so I, but I don't remember, but the gentleman uh, at the, at the, in the, I think it was in Memphis, in front of the uh, statue protesting, it's, you know, being saved, right? Because a lot of this was- In South Carolina. Say again? He was in South Carolina. South Carolina, excuse me. So a lot of their obviously Confederate statues are <laughs> under the threat of being removed. Um, and uh, so your exchange there really kind of where this guy, as you says, said afterwards, like he knew it just wasn't like this stuff that he knew he's too smart not to know that there's no logic to what he was talking about, and there was no sense to it, you know, but it's just taking that extra um, leap. You know, it, it's it's the, the power of the status quo is uh, amazing, and I, I do think it's important to realize that when you're asking people to uh, challenge a worldview that they've held most of their lives, you're asking a lot. But we just don't have any other choice. Yeah. Um, speaking of the statues, I noticed uh, I also came into contact recently with Tammy Sawyer. Um, through another project she was on this podcast recently and I got to meet her and she was fantastic and there's also a very powerful segment in the film late into the film where um, and that's back in Memphis if I'm not incorrect yes it is because she's a commissioner there in in Memphis Um, and uh, where also she she talks about what how much it took to just remove some of the uh, the statues there Jeffrey, did you find this experience? Um, are you still giving the talk? First of all, are you still traveling with this talk? I am. I the last time I gave the talk was Wednesday of this week, and oh. if you saw it, you would recognize some of the things from the talk in 2018. But it has changed radically, and I think I can honestly say that I have never. Never may be an exaggeration, not more than once or twice have I given the exact same talk more than one time, because things continue to change. And one of the things I got from a week and a half ago from an AP history class in Florida was a white teacher telling black kids that when I call you the N-word, I'm not saying anything about your race. I'm just saying something about your intelligence. And then telling uh, those same people that enslaved people were not whipped by white people uh, during the period of uh, slavery in America. And the, uh, the concept that these myths and these kind of views that we, we can look at in isolation and say, oh, my God, that's bizarre. Nobody's believed that for 100 years. This stuff isn't old. These problems aren't old. They are contemporary and right here for everybody to see. So the talk continues to change and it will because America continues to give examples of what we're talking about. Uh, I guess this goes to back to the counselors. Uh, um, what, how did you decide like, which, because uh, as we said, the talk uh, is sort of the, uh, provides the the under the structure the, or the you know the the infrastructure of the film. Let's say we keep going back to this this talk that that you say was from 2018, and then throughout we also have segments with um, 
all sorts of um, um, folks who, uh, you know, testimonials essentially, right? Uh, from uh, of people who have dealt with race, racism in their lives in a very personal way. How did you decide which, where to go? Because there's such, so many different parts of that story, you know? Um, a, a lot of a lot of decisions were made by by the people that we found along the way. Um, yeah. We we decided um, to to travel with Jeffrey as he gave his presentation across the country, and wherever we went, we would try to find uh, you know local um, local historians or you know uh, people with personal life experiences that could bring alive parts of Jeffrey's presentation. Um, but like like um, like all documentaries, uh, luck and chance plays a big part. Um, uh -huh, right. We were lucky enough to meet some amazing people that that's that seem to have been born right out of Jeffrey's presentation in a lot of ways. You know, they spoke directly to a lot of the issues that he was addressing. Um, so so that that's really it was it was because we were, were able to find these amazing people along the way, um, we incorporated their stories. Um, uh, well, again, the name of the documentary is um... Who We Are, Chronicle of Racism in America. It's having its world premiere this coming next week. Uh, this Tuesday starts South by Southwest. It's uh, um, in the documentary spotlight category, I believe. And uh, um, let's see, what was I going to ask you, Sarah? <laughs> oh, I know what I was going to say. I, I, I mean, there's, first of all, like Jeffrey experienced, I, I, I certainly experienced my share of mind-blowing uh, things I had no idea about. Like one is, um, my example would be in New York City, that they were talking, the mayor of New York City back in, remind me of the year, Jeffrey. 1861. 1861, the first year of the uh, Civil War, correct? Or I think so. Yeah. Anyway, so they, he was talking about New York kind of seceding. Mm -hmm. Like the, for financial reasons, like why? Just because the South, they, we don't have to do what they're doing. We can also secede and become, you know, uh, uh, sort of uh, benefit from the well, from the economy of slavery. Um, and right, and so I, that was something that I mean that I learned. I wasn't aware of that, you know, particular moment in time. Uh, Sarah, did you? I mean, obviously, you come from a, a background uh, where civil rights. Um, is uh, is an enormous component. So I'm just wondering if this, if you, if you learned anything during this process of making the documentary. I learned all the way through. I learned sitting in that room, listening to Jeff's that talk. First time. Yeah. Um, I learned as we met people along the way. I don't think. Um, I mean, you can identify as an anti-racist. You can commit yourself to doing anti-racist work. And at the same time, you can be ignorant a lot of a lot of our history of racism and white supremacy. Yeah. Right? Um, all of those things can be true and are true. And I think, um, I think we're coming to a point um, where we, we're starting to take a look at a lot chronologically, right? The, there's, a, there's a generosity required to like to to start at the beginning and go all the and a patience and go all the way to the end and say and, and to enable yourself to have the realization this is how we got here right you can't isolate a moment of time in the history of of 
of, of the, the white experience or the black experience of this country and understand it, right? Um, this film, Jeffrey's Talk, enables, enables us to begin to do that. And um, that was, uh, you know, and, and knowing that has implications, right? It is a charge to action. It is a, a it, 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 it gives you a responsibility to do more, to do better, to share the information, to educate others. And that was my experience of seeing Jeffrey for the first time. Um, and that is what we hope the film will do. Wow. Um, uh, wow. Yeah. I, I um, look forward to sharing this film with a lot of people. Um, it really had an, uh, an incredible impact. I, I Some of the most, uh, for, of course, on a personal level, like Jeffrey, when you reunited with your old school chums, very, very personal moment. There's a, lots of moments where you look like you're ready to... <laughs> Like, like start weeping that moment you didn't hold back actually because uh but i mean you look very emotionally raw during a lot of those moments in the film throughout they're very personal for you to say the least right this this was not easy um and i knew it wasn't going to be easy and i think the uh <clears throat> the most rewarding and the most difficult trip for me personally was the trip to Memphis because it was my my home and sure. and my family and I still have family there and uh so uh what I will say about the Orion's family in Memphis an Irish Catholic family that had nine kids uh one Opie who was my best friend growing up in grade school and his older brother, Dick, who was, you know, our kind of coach and mentor. Um, they had absolutely no reason to treat me in the way that they did, especially at that time in Memphis. And what I see that part of the story being is an example of what could have been around the country. And I wonder where uh, we would be as a country if that kind of acceptance and that kind of community existed across racial lines going forward. And that was unfortunately a moment in time that didn't last, but, uh, uh, you know, my wife always jokes that for decades she has heard about, you know, my grade school buddy, Opie, and now <laughs> finally gets to understand who he is. But yeah. it, was, it, was a, it was a hard experience, and I think it was hard for Sarah and Emily. Um, I just remember the drive from Joe Bowling's house back to the Atlanta airport. There were, I don't know what, 10 of us in that van, however many. And I don't think there were 10 words said during the entire drive. It was just literally complete silence because I think all of us were overwhelmed. Do y'all remember that? I mean, this is an incredibly personal experience. We, we were in a 10 to 15 passenger van together driving around going to hear Jeff's speech, listening to people 
share uh, wrenching moments of their past and wrenching moments in our in our in our history together. And it was a very it was a very bonding experience for all of us. We um, you know we were on a group history lesson yeah. and. I mean, I'll just say one of the people we met, a young man who helped us film in Tulsa, Oklahoma, then decided to take his entire family, his wife and his children, during the pandemic on a quote-unquote vacation. And they went to every city where we filmed. And they got drone footage from, uh, for us. And some of that footage is part of what makes this film so beautiful. But, you know, this young man heard the talk, decided I've got to know more. And now his children have an understanding of American history that is probably, unfortunately, uh, somewhat unique for kids their age around this country. But that's what this film did to those of us who were involved with it. Um. It's called Who We Are, a Chronicle of Racism in America. It's directed, co-directed by Emily and Sarah Kunstler, written by Jeffrey Robinson, produced by all three, and cinematography by a friend of mine, Jesse Wakeman, who's done this podcast in the past. It was, I, was, I, I did not know that was your DP, so it was an interesting surprise. But um, it's, again, well, it's going to have... And just to show you that there's less than six degrees of separation, Jesse... Uh -huh is the uh, son-in-law of a woman that I met in 1974 at Marquette University my freshman year, and who has been one of my closest friends my entire life. So uh, th there, there is a definite bonding and family experience that came from this. We're as connected as we wanna be. Oh, also uh, Jeff, you should talk about the Who We Are Project, which you didn't yeah. have to say. Yeah. Oh, wait, there's a podcast. Yes, as good as oh, I am. Well, I'm a podcast, but also even bigger than that. Um, bigger. This, this, this film is, is, is just the tip of the iceberg for the work that, that Jeffrey's launching into right now. Um, so it's, uh, it'd be great for him to talk about that. Yeah. So Emily, you go and then and I'll, in my head, put together the, the four sentences. I'm not sure what's, what it is. Is there something in particular you wanted me to say, Sarah? Um, I, I, I would, I mean, I guess I would just say that this working with Jeff and um, getting an, an opportunity to make this film with him um, was really a gift for Sarah mm -hmm. and I, you know, it was it, sort of the opportunity of a lifetime to, to meet Jeff, to, to gain his trust, um, to have to, to uh, for him to, 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 to trust us in, in taking his words and his message um, to, to a larger audience. Um, it's, you know, it was, it was a, a great three years um, and, you know, we, we enjoyed every minute of it and we couldn't be prouder of, of the end product. And, and I will just echo that and say that uh, it was a significant leap for me to trust these two women, but they demonstrated who they were at every turn. And it's easy to trust people who basically are showing you who they are, as opposed to telling you who they are. And uh, the film is, 
I never dreamed of doing this. So just the fact that it is created, the fact that it's at a film festival, I'm just laughing about this. I never had this intent, but it's an important thing. And it is a part of something bigger, something called the Who We Are Project. I did this film with Sarah and Emily. You know, Sarah is a full-time lawyer. Emily is doing these other films. I had a job at the ACLU. On April 1st, I'm leaving the ACLU and I start full-time as the, uh, I haven't decided if I'm calling myself executive director or poobah or whatever the title is of the Who We Are Project. And that project, the film is an asset of the project. The presentation I give that, that lasts three hours and which is different from the film is an asset of the project. The project has the goal of changing the narrative on our history of race and white supremacy in America and having a major impact on it in the next five years. And there are three buckets we're going to work on. One is schools, one is the community at large, and one is government and corporate uh, organizations. So you will be seeing and hearing more of the Who We Are Project, and that's thewhowearproject.org. Well done. Thank you for reminding me about that. Thank you. Yeah, I, I appreciate you start doing that. Yeah, I'm glad you were able to kind of work through these things here live on my show. Not live, but you know, on the show. <laughs> I'm only happy to provide that platform for you guys. Um, yeah, uh, thank you for bringing that up. I, we should probably led with that, or I should have probably led with that. But um, no biggie, you know. Uh, I will. I'll get on that mailing list right now. I, I want to hold on to the message and the power of the film as long as I can uh, and, and the greater message behind it, you know. Um, thank you all. Thank you. Okay, thanks so much. Thank you. Talk thank you. soon. Okay. This sublimely intimate fly-on-the-wall verite documentary tells the poignant story of a woman finding her own voice on her own terms to assert a, a gigantic creative force into the world, rebelling against her old world, panty-sniffing, suspicious Greek mother to assert her strong sexual drive, fighting the feeling she was too ethnic amid the Boston Brahmin at BU, and starting her own theater company in New Jersey instead of waiting for the phone to ring, Olympia Dukakis models how to live life with blazing courage. The film, uh, you know, it's a journey through the life and the career of this magnificent actor and passionate person. And uh, some of the people that illuminate uh, on the subject of Olympia Caucus and appear in the film are Whoopi Goldberg, Laura Linney, Diane Ladd, Lainey Kazan, Ed Asner, Austin Pendleton, Lynn Cohen, Armistead Mopan, Norman Jewison, her her late husband, Louis Zorick, Michael Dukakis, her cousin, and others. 
please take the time and 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 watch this film. It's it's it, you'll be glad you did. Here it is, my conversation with um, the director of Olympia, my friend Harry Mavro McCallis, here on Film Wax Radio. We feel in the theater because someplace we know all of this that's inside of us, we will have a chance to access it and liberate it. To the green room! <laughs> she has a life force, like one of those spaceships that has this battery that takes you out to the stars. You can see it when you're in the room with her. You, know, you can see it in her work. Fuck! You! You got a love bite on your neck. He's coming back this morning. What's the matter with you? Your life's going down the toilet. Olivia Dukakis and Everybody was thrilled that a great actress who had dedicated her life to the arts was finally getting the recognition that she deserved. Olympia the actress is superb. Her range is frightening and wonderful to watch. It's what every actor wants. I want it. Hit this! Go ahead, Malin! Slop her! One of the things that makes me happy and alive is work. What are you afraid of doing? Something wrong? You're in a Something. basement on Clinton Street. <laughs> she believes in justice. Justice for people who are downtrodden. Justice for people who've been manipulated or lied to. I'm so proud of my preoperative transsexual lesbian son. I remember her eyes. They were very sexy. And I says, oh my God, this woman. And then she wasn't a shrinking violet. She never was. <laughs> you dance with somebody, bang, that prick is hard, you know? You rub against somebody, you walk into the prick is hard. I said, but then the day comes and you can't take for granted a hard prick. <laughs> I'll walk down the street and there'll be a wonderful wind. I love wind. And that I think about not having this anymore, not having that wind. And I have this flash of fear. Rosemary, I'm an octogenarian today. Is that toilet paper? Oh my god. I'm 80 years old. I find that unforgivable. There's only one way to know. I have to go out and find out. Is it time to stop? Fine. I just yesterday I I I woke up feeling fine. I had an appetite. I had breakfast, and then um, about half early in the afternoon, I just got clobbered, and then I ended up with like a hundred plus temperature, hundred point something temperature at one point. You probably and I was had, just like you uh, probably you probably had uh, food poisoning. I might have. You probably had food poisoning. No, if, if the fever came and left within the same day, then it was a uh, food poisoning. Your body basically was. Let trying me ask to you fight. a question. That's really remarkable. You brought that up because I had this tomato, and I was a little suspicious of it. There was like that just didn't look right. I think I had some bad, a bad like. I think there might have been a little fungus or something in it, or. Yeah something you know in that i think because the seeds didn't look right i scraped them out but i might have ingested some bacteria or something i don't know i'm just guessing but and for yeah just for a few hours i took a 
I took some, finally just said, okay, I'm going to just take some, um, uh, you know, Advil's and I took them and then my temperature went away and then I was fine the rest of the evening. Yep. Food poisoning. That's what it was. 100%. Yeah. I think you're right. It's funny because I kept, I kept thinking about it and I was like, I wonder if it was that. I wonder if I, my body's react, but I just, uh, you know, I just let it go. I didn't look into it. And I was on the phone with the nurse. Everybody's worried I had COVID because I had a fever. But I, I like a couple of Advils are not going to knock out COVID. You know, what I mean? like it's, or, you know if it did, well, if it did. What kind of Advils are you using? Yeah, yeah. Extra strength uh, Tylenol, liquid gel capsules. Advil with chlorine. <laughs> yeah, right. With bleach. Uh, yeah, that knocks out the uh, the virus. So don't worry about the vaccine, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> oh, Adam, it's always so good to see you. Same here. Same here. Uh, glad you you. I was yeah. The last couple of weeks, I was like, well, oh wait, oh wait, weren't we supposed to do this? And then, uh, you know, I hadn't heard. I had there was a little gap of time because we were talking about trying to do something as a but, panel. I was yeah. I was trying to well, get still started. do that. Well, I, you know, I spoke to my team, you know, about wanting to do a panel, and everybody was like, "Well, how do we do this? How do we do that?" Like, everybody is so like because we're not, you know, you need to know people in certain industries and nonprofits, and none of us know anyone. Oh, I see. Well, and right now, South by Southwest is going on, and I don't know, people might be. Like it lost in the shuffle. When when is uh so Olympia's coming out? It will be available to stream right in a in a matter of days, right? On Tuesday, this coming Tuesday. Yeah. So we'll post this on Tuesday. Yeah. That way, people can go from here directly to. Directly, uh, that would be wonderful. Where would they go? Well, they they can go to our website, which will have all the platforms. But there's like you know iTunes um google play fandango there's like mm-hmm. a list of um you know t-board right. transactional on demand but they call it on demand that's it video on demand gotcha so it's it'll be very easy to uh watch it it's such a good documentary thank you Adam. it's one of those few cases where i, I took my you remember I, I took my son to see it yeah and and he was laughing and enjoying it so yeah, you you had a you you had a VIP screening. Well, I I don't have anything other than those. <laughs> you know, when I show up at the movie theater, I'm, I this is the VIP screening, isn't it? I'm going to sit in the VIP section. <laughs> uh, it's nice life to live, you know, if you're this this diluted. Uh, <laughs> but. Uh, I've been no, I've been uh, home and and of course I am not quite yet eligible for the uh, uh, the, the vaccine, and uh, so I've been home and up up here in the Hudson Valley and I I also um, have been um, you know I've been without a car for a couple of weeks for a few weeks because the car that I had was my father's and I had to turn it over finally because the lease was expiring and everything else, and then I'm getting another car shortly. So I just sort of said, well, maybe I can wait out like, you know, a, a, a full month of the winter because I don't really, the only times I go out up here in lately because of the winter was 
just to run an errand. I, I would just like give myself errand. I mean, there's some legitimate ones like you're doing the laundry or you're getting food. But other than that, I really, I wasn't really going far. I couldn't go down and see my mother's nursing home because they're constantly having outbreaks there. So I said, I probably could do this without a car because the idea of like, you know, the alternatives seem very expensive. So sure enough, it just has been great. And I started doing these long walks mm-hmm. and uh, it's been fantastic. I know least... we, we just, uh, we just purchased a piece of land upstate. Oh, you were talking about that, I think. Yeah. Yeah. We, we finalized it a couple of weeks ago. It's and... over on the other side of the Catskills, that area. Were you yeah, talking about? Franklin, Frank, yeah, yeah I remember that. Yeah, yeah, we talked about that at length. Yeah. And the the one thing that I hate is the fact that we will have to buy a car. Like I, you know, I haven't had a car since I was 19, you know, and I love not having a car. I'm actually very proud of not owning a, a car. And now it's like, well, you got to get a car. <laughs> it's That's so funny. Why do you feel that way? Why do I feel what? Well, why do you um, not want a car, ideally, if you had your choice? Well, be, first of all, it forces you to walk. It forces you to That's take true. your bicycle. You, you know, it's better for your health. Like, I, I exercise a lot more. I feel like, you know, whenever I go to Cyprus and I rent a car, because in Cyprus, you, you kind of have to have a car, I don't walk. I leave Cyprus, you know, Cyprus with all the healthy food and the clean air and the great water. I like I'm like fat. <laughs> it's like, you know, it's it's not good for me. Like uh Well, if you grew up with the uh, there maybe in the Mediterranean diet cuz that's like yeah. always espoused as like the greatest diet that nobody actually they just eat Mediterranean food, they smoke and they're skinny. Not anymore. Not no, anymore really because don't. McDonald's came in and uh, you know, everybody's off the Mediterranean diet. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, we need to get back to that, yeah. you know, but I've been, what I've been doing is, yeah, I, I'm not a great eater, to be honest, but I, I've been doing these marathon walk. I'm supposed to do one today, but maybe now that I kind of, you've, you've Dr. Uh, Mavro McCallis, maybe cause you've, you've, <laughs> you've, uh, what's the word you, you, you um, um, prognose, prognose, uh, or diagnosed, diagnosed me. Thank you. Uh, that um, as having food poisoning, and I, 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 I honestly, it's funny because I, as I mentioned already, I was instinctually thinking that. So you confirmed it, you know. And I'm a big believer in instinct. I like, like it's controversial to say that. No, but, no, I, <laughs> you know I, what I mean. No, you should listen to your instincts. Of course, but, it's it's what we don't do. That's the problem. Like we have to listen to. Yes, it's, it's there's a science behind it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, but uh, so now that I know that make, that it's not something else, <laughs> like I know for sure, everybody's saying, "Well, just take it easy today." But I think I'll still do my long walk because no, no, you know, once once the food poisoning is done, it's done. Okay, you're done, and then yeah. you're good to go. Yeah. I bet. I bet your telenurse didn't think it was food poisoning. My who? Telenurse. Right. She, she, no, I'm going to let her know. She'll, she'll say, yeah, that makes sense. I should have mentioned it to her, though, that I had a questionable tomato. And I know tomatoes, what's that, that category of vegetables or fruits and vegetables that they're kind of, they're, they're not toxic, but they, they have the poison, like the, yeah, 
it's like something like house or something not hot house but there there's a term for these yeah like eggplant and tomato right yeah, yeah. yeah. there uh and so um you know it's possible that they may be more peppers is another one right yeah yeah, yeah. all vegetables <laughs> no non-leafy vegetables yeah um anyway so maybe i should get away from the tomatoes but this one it was one of these you know they were sitting on my uh windowsill for quite some time and it's possible i just let it a little too long yeah anyway i'm gonna go for my walk i feel good about that then it really it's just so therapeutic and um you know especially in the winter and this is the last day of winter so yeah when it's nice and crisp outside it's great it is and you don't get overheated and everything um but um we were talking about the uh Cyprus anyway in the Mediterranean so we could use that as a way of pivoting back to Olympia which you know my favorite portion I mean I'm saying it's my favorite portion it's it's a it's a highlight is this section of the film when Olympia goes back to Greece and meets you know her people it's like uh to this small village and um you know she speaks Greek so she's able to communicate to some of the uh, folks there. And yes. it's just a really profoundly moving, you, it's profoundly moving for her. So you, as a, you've, you've done a beautiful, splendid job of capturing that, that experience for her. And it's a highlight of the film, you know? Yeah, when, I mean, when she um, said, because I, I was already filming for about two and a half, two and a half years. And then I was like, okay, I think, I think I should be done filming. And then, She's like, oh, in, you know, in August, I'm going to take my daughter and my granddaughters to go to Greece to see my mom's and dad's villages. And then we're like, uh, okay, we're coming. <laughs> so yeah. um, I, well, I, was, I was over the moon. I was over the moon. And uh, it was a, it was a two-week um, vacation. And she did so much while there. I mean, it wasn't right. just the family villages it was sightseeing it was Athens islands and um, so it was daunting when we started editing and we came to like the Greece section really yeah it was so much so much stuff and um, also Mm -hmm. you know the the main the main thing was that we wanted to go and see her mom's village but we went when we went to her mom's village, the village, even though the houses were there, there was no one there. Mm-hmm. I think there's like four residents during, you know, like the, the, people who own houses go back for like Christmas, Easter, like holidays, but it's basically an abandoned village. So it was a, um, it was a letdown for her and it was a letdown for us because there was nothing to film other than her walking in this one street. Literally, it's on the mountains and there's one street that goes into like the next village up the mountains. Um, so, uh, but all the stuff that happened in the, that ended up going in the film was stuff that were, was, we didn't expect. We weren't planning it, you know. The yeah, whole yeah, yeah. Thread. Incidental uh, moments. Yeah, with, right. with the four women that she spoke to in the plaza. Of what did they father. make of, uh, yeah, the, these four kind of older women that were, so far from Hollywood uh, or Broadway, 
Uh, well, what did they make of, of you shooting her? And what did they, did they just? Well, they had no idea who she was. Right. She, I mean, even when she said, I'm Olympia Dukakis, they said, oh, are you Michael Dukakis's sister? <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so they, they knew of Michael Dukakis, but. Yeah, well, uh, that makes you know, sense. Yeah, it makes sense. And it actually worked with what I was trying to do in the film that because the film talks about, you know, uh, being a woman and being treated as, as a second class citizen, because that's how she she was raised, you know, like mm -hmm. women being, you know, below men. And and there she comes to her, you know, father's village and these four women only know about Michael Dukakis and they don't know about Olympia, who had, you know, who is more famous than Michael Dukakis worldwide, you know, um, but no idea. But also, uh, you know, the film talks about the connection between women and that's what you see there. It's this incredible scene because be between these five women, the four women in, from Greece and Olympia, similar age, you know, and how they connect by the simplest conversation. Yeah. Well, yeah. it takes also Olympia so profoundly connective and um so present and interested you know she's a uh, she's really maintained that through her 90 years or uh, can you set do you have a clip of that scene that you might be able to provide can you do that like even if it's just um too much work at this point, it's a little too much work just because we're like swamped with the. Oh yeah, right. Of course, you are. Yeah. You have uh, you the have release. For... I'm going to show the trailer coming into this conversation. We'll I'll play the trailer. Okay. And yeah, then, that, uh... would, that would be great. Um, yeah, because I don't have like I would need to go back. I understand, and, yeah. and then you know probably yeah it's probably an enormous files and then you're talking about exporting stuff and then yeah but i i do have another scene that didn't make it into the film which is when they first go there and they get into their room and it's like her granddaughters and her daughter and her son it's a beautiful scene that's edited really nicely oh do you uh, want to just like it's bonus content we can yeah yeah want to show that on the here absolutely all right well let's look at it right now I will never, ever find my way here. I'm not moving without a team of dogs taking me some places. Oh, look at this. My pool. I got my own pool here. And look at that mountain with the uh, cloud. I can see it from here. This is great. So you're welcome to come. It's not a big pool. I know you'd want to swim. You want someplace to swim. But we want to go. Where's the car? How do you get to the water? How do you get to the ocean to swim in the ocean? Yeah, 10 meters on the left, there is entrance to the beach. And you're on this amazing beach, That's what I, yeah. which is under protection of UNESCO because Kareta Kareta turtles are living here, they're eggs. 
Wow. Just we know because now is the season when the turtles are starting the turtles. Out. It's amazing. It's, it's like Discovery Channel. <laughs> so maybe you will be lucky and you will see one of them. Maybe. Yes, that was <laughs> amazing. Wow. I'm s it's like seeing the film on new. I mean, you know. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 mean, I, wish, I wish that scene made it, but, uh, you know, we tried hard to keep it in, but it just, you know, at the end, yeah. all about the editing. I'll 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 put it in right there. In fact, and uh, and uh, so people can see it. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, you have uh, till Tuesday. Well, I'd like to edit it Monday, but even Tuesday, I, I I'll put this on the film wax, and then um, and then I'll get it on the uh, the podcast too, as soon as possible. That'd be great. You know, but I'll definitely do the a whole promotional. Thank you. You know. It was also um, great to have met when when we first did our first of 12 or 13, however many of these we've done together. Uh, I'm just kidding. We, this is our third time. But uh, uh, that um, to the first time I came up there, which is now, you know, it's a, well, it's a fair amount of time. In fact, she, her husband was, was still alive. Yeah. So I just still remember him opening the door <laughs> Just wow! It's, I had never seen him on Broadway or anything, but um, it was. Have so, you ever have you ever seen him on film or television? Yes. Oh yes. Yeah. Oh yes. Yeah. And I read about like I'll re rereading film books all the time, you know, because I bring on authors, and his name comes up. He was know, he was a very successful, you know, actor. You know. Oh yeah, he was up for many roles that you know he obviously. I mean, he acted tirelessly for decades, but he he was also up for some incredible roles. So his name comes up like yeah, yeah. You know, he was a crop of ethnic actors from a certain period, and yeah, and he. I mean, he also crossed over. Like he did the yeah. the you know. Uh, oh my God! Um, if I were a rich man, what's that? If I were a rich man, the oh, movie, Fiddler, Fiddler on the Roof. Um, he did Death of a Salesman with uh, John Malkovich and uh, Dustin Hoffman, both in the theater and the movie. Um, he's done a lot of theater with Peter Cass and Maggie Gyllenhaal. So I wonder if I had seen him. I, you know, my parents uh, they saw a lot of theater. They were members of the public theater for many years in the seventies. I I got to see quite a few quite a few productions with them not that i wanted to be there i just did not want to but the you know to my great benefit i saw a number of like unbelievable classics in those days because you know it was like the height of this this theater this sort of experimental you know theater that was really thriving in the new york city in the 70s and olympia was a big part of the public um back in so the day. yeah i may have seen so I'm with sure. her or 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 louis uh uh is it was it louis or louis well louis zorich but they yeah no louis. Louis. Lou or, or, yeah, louis or lulu bell like she called him really hopefully <laughs> she could probably get away with that <laughs> but he was a very very sweet guy but, but you know, I, talking about theater, um, you know, because I had no idea when I started filming the extensive body of work that she had in theater and that basically she was a theater actress that did film, not yeah. the other way around. Right. 
and um and that's you know we 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 talk a lot about that in the film about you know start you know t- she talks about how oh yeah when she came to new york she w- couldn't get auditions because of her name because she had an ethnic name um and then she decided to start her own theater company in montclair new jersey where she had it for about 27 years i think so w- even when that's, she that's she remarkable the oscar she continued working there um, yeah, most people, she landed on most people. I mean, it's not unusual with uh, when she, you know, had the big success in Moonstruck. And that was how most people, including my, I think I, when I saw it, I recognized, I knew her, you know, her face, but I didn't, because I, you know, she's a character actor, essentially, as I knew her, but yeah. she was a huge, well-respected actor for many decades before that. Yeah. Um and um, she ended up, of course, years later, and I think I shared this with her, um, you know, my uh, son's mother, who's an actor, she she, she w- went to the NYU grad school and Olympia was, I know, met with the students and talked with them maybe more than even one time. I don't know, but I know that her name had come up. Uh, what was her name? My kid's mom. Uh, yes yeah yeah karen Pittman. yeah okay. she's an actor she's on a she took she so she was olympia student no but olympia came and spoke with the class okay, got it yeah. yeah um and because i mean uh, and we're talking about 10 years ago maybe yeah so not not that long ago you know yeah. um and then well, i did end up meeting did i tell you i ended up meeting olympia one more time did i ever tell you no, I don't think so. She was in an indie film. It was at Rooftop Films in Brooklyn, and it was at the at the Amer- old American Can Factory, which is in Gowanus, which is actually where they would show the roof of this building. Rooftop was like one of their staple locations. And mm-hmm. in fact, their offices are downstairs. And um, they were showing, I forget the name of the film now, uh, but it was with Jason Schwartzman. Seven and- Chinese Brothers. Yeah, Seven Chinese Brothers. And uh, so I was there and Jason came on the podcast and Olympia was there and she, uh, <laughs> you know, one of those things where she was just probably picked up and brought there. She's where the hell she is. But she she was, it was nice to talk to her. She, I don't know if she remembered me, but it was not long after. It was not long after. Yeah, no, she, she loved doing that film. And uh, the reason being, I mean, that we use a scene of that film in in. in my documentary but oh, okay she, she talked about how much she loved filming because the director allowed them to do a lot of improvisation so the back and forth between jason and her was yeah. you know guided but a lot of improvisation and she just you know in a, at a time when a lot of directors are so you know controlled you know into their script it was you know freeing for her yeah sure yeah. But um, also, you spoke about you know her as a teacher. I have to say, it's um, she. I think she absolutely it was one of her fa- favorite things being with her students, um, trying to you know pass the information to other people. Uh, and I remember we screened uh, River Run in Winston Salem, um, North Carolina, and uh, one of the directors of the festival used to teach at a university in Florida and he said that he told me a story where they had uh, brought Olympia to teach and she was um, 
he said that she went far beyond you know what she was supposed to do and she made sure that she met with every student and she would work on the weekends with them just so they all had an opportunity to have a one-on-one -on -one with her and that's that's who she is yeah well you know again i understand it it's like somebody who really thrives off of interpersonal connection and relationships and you know i mean i don't know how else you can be a great actor without exploring things like that you know well you had the opposite which was louis her husband had a completely different method more of the performer uh he would say just just read the lines oh they would like they would argue with each other and and, right. and because she's all about it's understanding about acting dear boy it's cool <laughs> <laughs> you remember Lawrence olivia <laughs> understanding you know the character i mean if you see her notes of all her scripts it's full of like right. you know questions well, and answers and lou was like i know you know yeah because you know it's whatever works you know it's also it's uh whatever serves you you know i mean it different different strokes for different folks yeah you know, whatever you to perform you know better yeah did you ever uh explore acting was that something you did or we had to do we had to do acting at film school okay um and i wanted to be an actor when i was from the day i was born till i was like 16 or 15 and i did my first play at school and then i realized how awful i was <laughs> how bad i was yeah and then I, I i think i tried it a couple of other times in high school and i i knew that that was not happening and funny story I did a workshop with Olympia. She was doing a how how directors working with actors. So I went in as a director, and then I did a scene of a, the script that I wrote, and I had my actors. And she said, "She said, Harry, you be the actor. Come and read this." And I was like, "No, no, 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 <laughs> no. You don't understand." Oh. She's like, "No, no, no. Come, come read it. You'll 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 be fine. You'll be fine." Uh oh. So I started. <laughs> she, you see her going. She goes, stop, stop, stop. Oh, no. <laughs> she said, that was terrible. Oh, I said, I told you, why are you making me, you know, why are you trying to make a fool of me in class? And she started laughing. <laughs> but I, yeah, yeah no, I, I mean, I think part of it is, you know, is, it, it can be learned um, through various techniques. You you know, I don't, is, is, do you feel like, do you feel, do you agree with that? Like you can learn, you can be not instinctually a good actor, but you, you can actually go from that. Like you, you, one assumes that anybody going into uh, whether it's theater or film, whatever school uh, for training um, that you start off with a certain set of tools, you know, and uh, certainly the passion for it. But I wonder if you can come, you can grab just about anybody as long as they're willing and teach them how to act. So I'll, I'll answer that with a story, an Olympia story, because when she, st she was asked to teach at NYU, uh, you know, when she was very young, from the guy who was running the uh, acting program at NYU, Peter Cass. Um, and um, he came to her class one time and he like saw her teaching and he stopped her, took her outside and said to her, you don't have to save your students. You don't have to like be so onto them trying to like s save them. And he said, there's three kinds of students. 
there's the students that shouldn't be here and your job is to try and get them to quit and go home. Mm -hmm. There's the students who you'll be able to teach them their craft and be good enough so they can go out and get, you know, certain jobs here and there. And then there's the third kind of actor that when you see them, you will be scared shitless from their talent. Yeah, um, I got that all the time. That's, they wouldn't even I, let me I'm, in I'm NYU. The, I'm, the first, I'm the first type. <laughs> I think I'm the fourth type, which is you're scary and yet we're not letting you into the program. <laughs> That's, is that you? Yeah. I, I just take it as a compliment and I saved a bundle. <sighs> That's great. That's a great story. And uh, I'm glad we're spending a lot of time on acting and, and, and method or craft because it, that is at the core, her, you know, who she is, what she's about, Olympia Dukakis, you know. So I'm going to urge people to uh, really see this great documentary. You know, I obviously am behind it 100% because this is our third time. Of course, you can come on anytime you want. You can be my permanent co-host, or I'll be your permanent co-host. We could, It's a love affair for the ages, of course. But um, uh, yeah, no, I, 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 I'm, I, <clears throat> you know, because because Olympia is so authentic, and because she is a, a, like almost like a representation of what you know art and acting and it's uh, you know and there are quite a few people like that i'm not saying she's the only one but uh, those are you know the films that or the stories that i like to expose myself to you know and to really i get the most out of and um you know especially if it's a well-made film that's that's now, a plus i i've never met a a person who is so into her work like she's in doing one play and she's already rehearsing and learning the parts for the next one and now no now no 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 you're saying typically yeah yeah yeah, yeah. all right because uh because she's yeah, till, retired till, right till last till a year and a half ago like after i mean she retired after tales of the city from netflix Oh, uh, the re the uh, the re the re sequel series, yeah, yeah, exactly. So after that, she retired. She continued teaching um, until COVID hit. Oh, okay. Um, and but but that's like there's always like you see her brain working, 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 and she also creates a lot of her own work. You know, she'll come up with an idea. She'll find the person who she thinks could be a good match. You know, pitches it. They love it or they don't. And then they start taking over the project and then they call her when they need her. Mm -hmm. It's a constant, you know, and it was, it was like we were in Cyprus filming and um, she was doing her nails in a beauty salon. And I was like, uh, I was like, Olympia, I said, what's the most important thing in your life? And she said, my family and my work. And I said, if you got to choose, what's your you know, the most important thing in your life. And she said, if there's a problem, my family. If everything's good, my work. Mm, wow. <laughs> you know, anyway, I thought it was a great answer because you see it, you know, she, she would kill for her family. Her family means the world to her and she's invested, you know, with her kids and her grandkids. Um, but the work you know, has always been what's, you Drives know, her, sure. Yeah. yeah. Motivates her. 
Yeah. Uh, that's a great place to sort of, I think. Is it, so she's, but just as, as a postscript, I guess, um, she's, so she's, she's okay. She's just staying safe and sound. She's staying safe and sound. She's turning 90 this year. And um, what are we going to do? Oh, God, I don't know. I'd love to take her to, you know, Cuba or something. I don't know. <laughs> I don't see it. <laughs> yeah, maybe well, how's her to... health? Um, it's okay. It's okay. I mean, she's, I, I, I feel like this last year, there has been a fallback with, mm -hmm. you know, because she hasn't been going out. She hasn't had people seeing her. Um, now she got her vaccine, so you know okay. we're gonna go. I'm Thula and I. I'm gonna we're gonna go and see her next week. So you know I haven't seen her forever. So we're very excited for that. But you know she's um, uh, she needs to start doing things like we yeah. all do. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. Um, and um, and what about you? Have you had a vaccine yet? Not yet. I was, I'm only 20 years old. What are you talking I know, about? I know you're you're the last probably yeah. to get it. Um, <clears throat> you and I. Um, yeah, I, I just about everybody I know has got it. I mean, I'm glad I to know, know that. My, my husband is getting it on the 22nd on Monday. Okay. And I'm thinking of kind of like going with him and just like doing like that? farming like at yeah. the uh, Javits Center. Just like, oh, please, please, please. Can you please give me one too <laughs> yeah i live with the guy uh well you can hang out maybe at the end of the day or something yeah that's yeah or you know or when i volunteer somewhere you know like i want to volunteer for like helping um organize vaccines yeah sure uh, that's true right uh, so we'll see we'll see it will happen soon yes either way yeah i'll be down uh in the city uh next I have to go down there. My son is coming in and then his mom. And then, uh, so. When are you coming in? Um, I'm coming in on, uh, the, I think the, tw uh, a week from tomorrow. Well, if you have time, let me know. We can go grab coffee. And I don't know that there will be in this particular trip. It, it just depends how it works out. Cause my son is flying in and I'm trying to figure it out. Like, am I, I think anyway, but but uh, yeah, I'd, I'd love to see you. I mean, yeah. absolutely. And I'll be and I, and as of like at some point this spring, Karen, his mom, is coming back. Just you know, we'll be in Brooklyn. Per, you know, ongoing because there's the work in LA is, is over for the time being. So oh okay okay. So so it's coming to an end shortly. So then they'll be in, and so I'll be coming down. In other words, More quite often. frequently because I have I'm he's with me every other weekend or however frequently, you know, so yeah. I'll be coming to get him and bring him back up here or hang out with him down there or whatever. Got it. So I'll be down. Yeah. And I, I, as soon as they start letting me into the nursing home to see my mother, I'll be going down there too. Nice. Well, so, uh, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, this has been terrific. It's been great. Yeah. I really enjoyed seeing you and, uh, same here same here and uh glad you're feeling better go on your walk <laughs> i will <laughs> all right yeah. and i'll post this on tuesday because the olympia premieres tuesday streaming and, and, we, and we, we talked about where it's playing yes. 
yeah but people can go mention the website again and yeah. and also like if there's social media etc cetera, etc cetera. yeah so uh, the people can find the film on olympiathefilm.com which is the website and that will take you to you know apple tv itunes google play right. uh, and then our social media is all facebook twitter and instagram olympia the film so there you go and we'll put it on at the at the end card on this segment too so people know how to find it all right harry all right adam great Hang in there and we'll, we'll we'll meet up soon all right big hug all right same here Bye. Give my best to Anthula too So I just wanted to mention a couple of things like, uh, you know, I've historically lived in New York City, so I have a deep connection or a deep sense of connection with some of the theaters down in New York, many of them, because in a typical week I would be seeing films in any number of of theaters in New York, and um, they're finally being able to reopen with, I'm certain, with new protocols in terms of uh, capacity. For instance, the IFC Center is, is, is open. You know, and one of my favorite theaters, uh, Film Forum, is is opening on April 2nd, which is next week. BAM is still closed. The Film at Lincoln Center is opening on April 16th. They're opening their theater. So we're seeing the movie theaters opening down in New York, for instance. I'm just saying that these are rooms with no windows. And I feel like if you haven't been vaccinated, you may not want to go to the movie theater. I, I'm a very big proponent. I can't wait to urge people back into movie theaters. But my personal feeling is to be conservative about it, that until you're vaccinated, you shouldn't spend time in any room that doesn't at least have a window. Yeah, that's sort of my own litmus. So that's just me. I just wanted to mention that because it's a big deal. And I... um but I'll be the first to go back into the movie theater. And we have a chain up here in uh, the Hudson Valley called Upstate Films. And I am developing, I hope, to develop some sort of relationship with the the people that are running it now, that it's going to be reopening also soon, because um, I live up here and I want them to succeed. You know. Anyway, let me know what you think. You can contact me through my Twitter, Facebook Instagram accounts personally or through the FilmWax ones. So it's at FilmWax Radio. We're on most of those social media platforms. You can also visit uh, FilmWaxRadio.com. That's our website. There is a way to send a, <clears throat> an email message through there, as well as, of course, we, we are also on YouTube. And you should subscribe to our YouTube channel because there's a lot of more content there than there is on the podcast and you can watch these shows take care of yourselves and the ones you love until next time this is adam sharkoff film wax review
Sendo 